0: everyone, why don't you <clears throat> grab a Bible or a phone and head to Mark chapter 10. I think the verses will be behind me if you don't have a Bible, but it'd be good for you to see it uh, in front of you as well. Um, this is more, we're, just, we're tracking on in Mark, uh, to last week's, that about, Cutting off your, your hand and your foot and gouging cause you to that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, I explained that we teach through the Bible, we don't avoid any passages, uh, it's good for us. No, let's just swap out the battery, I think that's the main issue on these things. Sorry. Give us one second, yeah? Well, I'll keep talking. You can. Okay. We try not to avoid any passages. And so this morning we're back in one of these passages um, speaking about um, um, marriage, uh, sex, and divorce. And so if you're a parent, uh, with a child in the building, uh, this is just a heads up kind of thing. Like, if you don't want to answer difficult questions, you may want to send them to kids' church. And if you're watching online, this is a heads up that, like, if you're all watching together, I'm going to be talking about marriage and sex and divorce and stuff. So if you want to hang around and answer the questions, I think we should talk about these things with our kids, but I'm warning you in advance. So you don't email me during the week like that I dropped a bomb. On you and you weren't ready for it. All right. <clears throat> Another uh, introductory thing is that wh- when we ever we speak on the issue or the Bible as the issue of divorce, it's impossible uh, to cover every scenario, every circumstance, every issue around it. Um, and so I'll try and cover some of them this morning. But I really want to. I want to just throw open that door um, and invite you that if you are wrestling through this, if you find yourself affected by it uh, currently or historically or, or, or connected to you and you just are either battling or want to reach out to somebody. You're not bugging us if you contact us or contact me and you want to meet up and deal with a specific scenario that you have. Um, we'd love to. We have others who would love to meet with you and help you because I don't want you to be disappointed that you didn't speak about my specific situation this morning. I probably won't get to everything uh, but I do want to Leave that invitation open to you all right chapter 10 uh, we're going to read from verse uh, from verse 1 to verse 12 he set out from there this is Jesus and went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan then crowds converged Some Pharisees came to test them asking, is it lawful for a man to command you? They said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. But Jesus told them, he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples questioned him about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's pray before we deal with these, uh, these verses here. Father, the gift of your word um, that we, we have in front of us and that we get to hold and read and hear um, never, uh, never fails to amaze us. Just what a gift you've given us. And the fact that not only have you spoken but that you continue to speak. Uh, And we come as a people this morning before you, and we just look to you. We lift up our eyes, and we lift our hearts to you, and say, Father, please would you speak to us. Please would you teach us by the Holy Spirit. Please would you open up our eyes to see things you need to see. Please would you make our hearts receptive uh, to receive your instruction to us. And may, in all of these things... May we come to see ourselves more clearly, and may we come to see you more clearly, more of your character, more of the grace of the gospel, more of the glory and the wonder of who you are and how you relate to us, how you've made us and what you've made us for. There's so many things we need you to do uh, in us and to us to help us this morning through the Holy Spirit, and we look to you for that work now, for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I've got three, uh, three points that, if you're a note-taker, we're going to work at, at this passage through in three sections. We're not sort of, sort of going to do it beginning to end like we would normally do. Uh, I'm going to deal with um, the beauty of marriage, the power of sex, and the brokenness of divorce. So if you're a note-taker, those are the three headings and the three gears. And then we're going to come back around and talk about the redeeming, reconciling, healing, wonderful uh, power of the gospel that covers all of these things as we close it out. But the, we're going to start with the beauty of marriage. Uh, it's very interesting that in this passage when Jesus is asked a question, a pointed question about divorce, he is in a hurry to talk about marriage. And I know some of you here, we just want to, let's just talk about divorce and all that kind of stuff. And even when Jesus, when he's asked the question, he makes a beeline to talk about marriage And it's really important as we layer these things on, we're going to talk about marriage first, then we're going to talk about sex, and then we're going to talk about divorce because divorce only makes sense once you've spoken about marriage and sex together. Are you with me? If you feel uncomfortable talking about sex and marriage and all this kind of stuff, I apologize that you came this morning and I hope that God gives you enough grace to power through. Um, I'm obviously not too concerned about it and uh, I don't think Jesus was either. Uh, But let's talk about this. The beauty of marriage... Jesus says this when he's asked about divorce. We'll talk about that interaction around the verses of Moses. But have a look in verse 6 to 9. He says, from the beginning of creation. From the beginning of creation. Jesus winds it all the way back. God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. And uh, some translations, I don't know if you use the CSB, the NIV, the ESV. Some say, and be united to his wife, or be joined to his wife, uh, and, they will, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. It's really important for us, just in these verses, just to go through some of these words and these phrases, because we can skip over them. If you've been to a wedding recently, which I've done a couple, um, mostly because of you lot, uh, all marrying each other, you would have heard these these, um, these words, but sometimes they just wash over us. You know, just like, oh, okay, whatever. From the beginning, this is God's perfect plan. From the beginning, this is God's intention. God's intention for marriage is what? There's some very short things here that I'm not going to dwell on. I'm just going to put them out there because they, they, they clarify things and they clear up a lot of confusion for us these days. He made them male and female. God's design for marriage is one of each. Okay, is, I'm saying a lot there. <laughs> I'm saying a lot. There's one man, there's one man, and there's one woman. And they get married. It's not much more complicated. It's fairly simple, and Jesus leaves it at that, and so will I. What does he say happens to this? He says, for... For this reason, a man will leave his mom and dad, and he will cleave. He will be joined together. The ESV has a great translation of this. It says he will hold fast to his wife. Not just like a like a holding fast. Like he will be joined to his wife. There's a lot that I could say about this, but God's intention from the beginning is that not just the man, you start to the man, but that husbands would leave their homes and wives would leave their homes and the, the authority of those parents and they would be joined together in a lifelong union. They would become one. They would leave those families. It's not that they would never speak to those families again. That's not, I'm not advocating. That's a bad thing, okay? Don't do that. Some of you are thinking, oh, no, no, I'm getting married and yet I can escape my crazy family. No, that's not how it works. You, you just have a new priority. You, you create a new family as a husband and wife, and it has, it has prominence. It has preeminence amongst all the other families that you're connected to. You've left the authority of your parents, and you've joined together, have left and cleaved together, joined to the wife, uh, the CSB says, and you are to hold fast, husbands, Hold fast to your wife. That means don't let her go. Don't let her go for any reason. What else do we see here? In verse 9, Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. This is one of my favorite parts that I get to do. And I'm looking around the room and I'm thinking, I've married so many of you. It's so cool. Like, and say, When I said these words at your wedding, it wasn't. I didn't make them up. You know. I don't know if you ever read this, but I didn't make up the words. They were right here. It's such a cool thing. It's just the thing I say before you get to kiss the bride, kind of vibe. Everyone claps and goes crazy. Those are the last words there. Let man not separate. For what God has joined together. You know what we think? We think we pick. And the Bible says God joins. And how cool is this? That you do pick. But behind your picking, God is joining. I remember distinctly the first time I laid eyes on Claire. And I'm not going to go, you know, a a long way down this road because I'll probably get emotional and you don't want to hear all this kind of stuff. But I remember the first time I saw Claire. And I, uh, you know, at first she dated a friend of mine, which we'll talk about later again. Um, (laughs) And then she saw the light and, you know, the two of us decided we wanted to be together. But I, I... I, I was attracted to her from the moment I saw her, and that just escalated. Um, and in, in a sense, I chose Claire. But when I look back now, we just celebrated 20 years of marriage, I see that God joined us together. And I'm more grateful to God for his sovereign wisdom in joining us together and how good that's been for me. And that's, it's been better than I thought I was picking I thought I was choosing Claire. And I look back now and I see God, in your kindness, you joined me to this woman. God joins together. That's why man doesn't get to separate. That's why that that sentence comes after it. What God has joined together, man has no business separating because God has joined them together. That's why divorce is such a mess. And why it hurts us so much is because God has joined together. And then man tries to separate what God has put together. That's why it hurts so much, guys. I'm not in the divorce section yet, but I'm just explaining that you have been joined by, together by God. If you're married, you have homework to do. I want you to go home, grab your husband or your wife, sit down, and pray together, say, thank you, God, for joining us together. I know this is not always easy because some couples are unbelieving, mismatched. You, you don't have the privilege of doing that. If you don't have the privilege of doing that, you just, you're able to sit with God and say, God, you've joined me together to this person. And as difficult as it may be now, maybe you can't see the, the God's hand in it all, and it's hard. Still, th- thank God for it, for his purposes, whatever he's working out there. Obviously, our prayer is always that God would bring both to full salvation and to treasure him together. What else do we see here? We see that marriage, I often mention this at marriages, marriage, is, marriage is, is a picture of, of Jesus and the church. And it's not the other way around. Marriage comes first. And the relationship Jesus has with the church comes later. But marriage is almost like it prefigures this relationship Jesus is going to have with the church. This perfect relationship. From his side at least. That lasts into eternity. Marriage ends. The relationship Jesus has with the church continues. And if you ever want to know how your, what your posture should be to your husband or your wife. And if you're not married yet to your future spouse, you need to understand this relationship that Jesus has with the church and the self-sacrificing nature of that. Especially for the husbands. You're called to love your wife like Christ loved the church. It's one of the most sobering truths in the scriptures. It's just straight between the eyes for every husband. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. It's 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 not complicated, difficult to understand. It's incredibly difficult. Because it's a dying to yourself to love your wife into fullness and into life. The one is a picture of the other. I mentioned some of this because culturally we are being discipled again and again that marriage is a romantic relationship, it's not a covenant. Are you with me? That we've been discipled that marriage is a romantic relationship. That's why there's a whole industry which I, as a, as a pastor, I wish I'd got in on this industry years and years ago just from a financial perspective because I would have made an absolute killing opening a wedding venue. Not in COVID times. I would have sold it before then if I had perfect hindsight. But the marriage industry is a, is a machine. If you have not been married or you don't know anything about this, let me tell you, you can make a lot of money in the wedding industry. You know why? Because there's such a narrative around that that is the pinnacle. You get everything shredded to get wedded. Everything happens, you know, like, uh, builds up to this day. You, you never look better than you do on your wedding day. I mean, people, I've said this before, you're unrecognizable six months after you get married. You look at your wedding photos and I'm like, who are these people? It's you. You know, because you just got tanned and slimmed and then you let loss after that. It was, because that was the pinnacle. We've been told, like, aim for that. That day is the most important day Life, romantic peak and then the, you know reality kicks in but that's the high thing we've been convinced that marriage is a romantic relationship it's a romantic partnership it's not a covenant that you enter into why do so many people get divorced because they think it's a romantic partnership and you enter in with all the feels and the feels reach their zenith on your wedding day and then life kicks in and then children come and then you just get beaten around the head by life, and what happened to all the feels? You look back down the road, and you think, how did I get into this mess? And who are you? You know, you wake up next to the person, you're like, I'm, I'm irritated with you, and I've just woken up. You haven't even said anything, you know? Have you ever woken up annoyed with your spouse? Someone say amen. This, hallelujah, there's a hand. I see that hand. That's what Claire tells me happens to her. So I was just trying to help her find her friend. If you think it's a romantic partnership when the romance when the romance dips you, you, you think you've made a mistake because the culture is telling you romance is what you need you need a romantic partnership so no one swap out the partner find another one who gives you the feels move on because marriage is about romantic partnership but you need somebody who gives you the feels it's not a that's what Tell us it's a covenant that you enter. It's a lifelong covenant that you enter into. It's not a romantic partnership. Yes, there's romance involved in it. But it's a covenant that we enter into. And I want to encourage you. If you're married, if you're looking at marriage, if you're in it, if you're looking back down the road, whatever, some of us, this is where we went wrong. Because we thought it was a romantic partnership. And the feelings faded and people moved on. It's a covenant. I said that marriage is is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing, but it's not an ultimate thing. It's not an ultimate thing, and I, I mention this partly to help and encourage you guys who are married to remember to keep Jesus as ultimate. Jesus is ultimate. Marriage is a gift, and it's a joy, and it's a help, and it's wonderful, but it's not an ultimate. If you make your spouse everything, you have put a pressure on them that they cannot Disappoint you. They will let you down. All your hope is in them. Christ. You're designed to have all your hope set in Christ, not on your spouse. It's a crushing way to bear. It's a crushing way to put on your spouse. It's a crushing way to bear if your, uh, if your spouse is putting that on you. Uh, I've said it before a few times. Too strong on it. But the whole idea of soulmates is a load of rubbish. <laughs> Finally, somebody's on my page here. I mean, if if you have that on your fridge or whatever else, like, come and chat to me later. I didn't mean to offend you, but it is rubbish. There is not, you're not two, you know, souls colliding in the universe and boom, you bumped into each other and whatever else. Like, if you have that, also kind of like, oh, we just, we complete each other. No, 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 no. You stand alone. You are your own person. Praise God. And you are joined together with somebody else in a covenant and two is better than one, amen. But you are still on your own and you are a complete person all on your own. The other person doesn't complete you kind of thing. Ooh, like that kind of drivel. I promise you, it doesn't help you because it's not in the Bible. Doesn't that doesn't help That covenant is different to this romantic nonsense stuff that cultures discipled us with around what marriage is. The last thing I'll say on the marriage thing is that whilst marriage is a great gift from God and a blessing and a joy... Whilst it's beautiful and it's not ultimate, we need to remember, particularly Christians and churches have slightly got this wrong, where we've made marriage the number one thing. And told people, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, that if you're single, maybe one day you'll arrive at this glorious thing called marriage. But until you do, we're not really sure what to do with you. Hang in there. You know, Jesus is your husband, all that kind of stuff. The church has failed single people. And we as a church need to work really hard on elevating the gift of singleness and the grace that singles have to bear in a church. And we bring them in to the life of the church, not as some lepers or pariahs who, are like, who have been overlooked by God's kindness or the rest of society, but some who have chosen Singleness, some who God has graced with the gift of singleness, and some who would love to be married but are needing all of God's grace to endure singleness. And we bring them into the family of the church and we do life together. And they don't feel like second-class citizens. And every time we do a baby dedication, single people are able to celebrate that because they feel part of the family. And they don't feel like they also ran and God has overlooked them. His kindness has landed on all the married couples. It's a challenge in a church like ours where we have a lot of people who are young and getting married, we need to work hard at a biblical, healthy view of this. Because the Bible elevates singleness. The Bible elevates singleness. It says it's almost better, like the rest of you who tapped out and got married, sorry for you. But man, if you can go through this gold standard of singleness, and somehow we flipped it around. I'm not putting marriage and singleness against each other, but I think the Bible has a very high view of singleness. And we need to recapture something of that. And celebrate and pray with and love and affirm those who have either chosen singleness, who are enduring singleness, and need lots of God's grace in it. All right. Marriage is beautiful. Let's talk about the power of sex. This is what Jesus says For this reason, Father, no, no, Father, you, man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one. They are not two, but now one flesh. That's marriage. Now, he says, and that's a lifelong union. Let man not separate. So you come together as a husband and a wife. It's a permanent union. And one of the things that binds them together so strongly is the power of sex. Jesus says the two become one flesh. Now you'll find some people who say that the one flesh that Jesus is speaking about there is children. Uh, is children. That's not what he's saying. Because if you just need to deconstruct that argument, what if you can't have kids? Are you no longer, then you're still two? No. You become one flesh through, the, through sexual intercourse that consummates a marriage. That's what it's designed for. So marriage and then sex. I, don't have, I hate having to spell this out, but you have to spell it out these days. That's the order that's supposed to happen. Marriage and then sex. I know you think I sound like a prude. And, like, for some people, you'd be like, oh, no, that sounds perfectly normal, Doug. For others, you'd be like, where did you come from? I promise you, in the culture, it's just, it's assumed that you can, we'll talk about it in a bit more now, that you can have sex with everyone and it won't hurt you. It won't have any lasting effect on you. Jesus says marriage is a lifelong union between one man and one woman. You'd leave your parents' homes and you'd be united together forever, for life, with that person. And in the context of that, you would experience the power and the binding nature of sex. There would never be broken, that union. And it may, in God's kindness, produce children. But that two, becoming one, is not uh, having children because it would mean, like I said, that if you didn't have kids, you didn't experience the oneness, but you do through sex. Children are just a blessing uh, that come uh, from God. Which, because of this union, we need to take sex uh, more seriously, both before marriage and after marriage. We need to take it more seriously before, on both sides of marriage. Let's talk about before marriage. Um, I mean, I'm old now, old-ish. But I, you know, our church is young. Maybe not many of you, but you know many of your mates and the people that you move with. Like, our culture has progressed. So the sexual and gender revolution is so swept over our culture that this kind of like hookup culture and this casual view of, of sex is just so pervasive, so widespread, that this kind of view that you can just meet up with somebody, just have sex with them, just keep on rolling with your life, like it's just that's super easy, there's no strings attached kind of thing, it's just a physical act that doesn't do anything to you. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. If, you, if we go with what the Bible teaches about how it joins you to somebody. Um, I just want to encourage us and put steel in you and courage in you to help others, to uh, particularly if they are pre-marriage, to ward them off. Anything that looks like premarital sex in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4, we read, uh, we read this, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexual moral it's not it's not something that the bible weighs lightly and we'll talk a bit about uh, at the end about how we help people who've got this wrong you've got this wrong there's a lot of help in the gospel for this but this remains the truth here that sex is meant to be enjoyed in the confines not put the cart before the horse so that's talking about pre-marriage in marriage i think So I think we need a a higher view of of why sex should just stay in marriage. But we need a higher view of why once you are married, you should have sex. And I'll just put it bluntly. You should have as much sex as possible uh, as a married couple. Because, um, and I I have a a friend who sent me an article on this, um, on on a chemical called oxytocin. Some of the doctors here or the clever people will know about this. And I don't want to overcook it here kind of thing. But he said that the oxytocin is a, is a, I think it's a hormone or a chemical in your body that's elevated during uh, labor and, and breastfeeding. And the purpose of it is particularly to bond a mother to her child. Like that, that strong bond that moms feel when they give birth and when they're breastfeeding, that's oxytocin doing its work. And it's also released in us when we have sex. When you have sex with someone, oxytocin is the chemical, the truest, the bonding thing. Sex is meant to bond you together. That's why you can't just go around having sex with it, you know everyone all over the place because you're bonded, not just with a chemical, but with with what God has said, the purpose of sex is to bond you. That's why you you can't just go around like that because you're leaving all these bonds all over the place. Imagine the damage that's doing to us. But on the positive, let me say this encourage you as couples, especially married couples, to take this seriously. We used to tell teenagers uh, when we used to do lots of um, youth ministry that before you get married, the devil will do his best to get you into bed, and once you're married, the devil will do his best to keep you out of the bed. <laughs> okay. And uh, kids found that way funnier when we were in youth ministry, but uh, no, all the married couples are like... Uh... I think it's right. Yeah, and it's right. Let's just be honest. Like, you know, before you married, like holy cow, you're just like, Woo! You know, once you married, you're like, Yeah, it's uh... Do you want to watch Netflix? You're like, oh, you know, like I want to encourage you, man, if you're married, you've got to work hard at this because it's 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 a gift. Sex is a gift to be enjoyed, it's meant to bond you, it wards off temptation, it it does spiritual things between you as a husband and and wife. That's why it's meant to be kept and enjoyed in the confines of marriage. Okay, let's move on to the brokenness of divorce. If that's what marriage is that we've spoken about, and sex is what is enjoyed in the confines of marriage, and the power of it keeps a, uh, connects a couple and keeps them together, um, and they enjoy that together. In this is why you can see that divorce is such a mess because you have an an, un, an undoing, an attempt at undoing what God has joined together, and you can imagine how that just feels for some of you. I know this is this is real. You would have experienced the, the pain of divorce, um, and we've, we we experience the pain of divorce in different ways. I was having I was having coffee with a guy a couple of weeks ago who's whose parents got divorced when he was in varsity. So, like, he's an adult, you know. And, and the emotions were right there. The emotions are right there. I think it's one of the most confusing and difficult things for an adult is to have their parents divorce. You know, when you're, you're a full-on adult and now your parents, they get divorced after whatever it is, like 40 years kind of thing. He was just all at sea. The emotions were still right there. Divorce just messes us up at any, at any stage What the age?